what? You have a podcast? Can we just take a second and fully abbreviate this moment together? Don't spare me on Thanksgiving. Hello, welcome to another episode of Recovery from Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Frame, and today is Thursday, January 19th, 2023, and thus begins a wonderful march of death to the debt limit, which will probably take all the way till June. Um, so this week, the United States has reached $31.4 trillion in debt. Uh, we will go higher because there is no constraints on this in the meantime. A lot of people are suggesting that this is the end of the world, especially people on the right. The Republicans are suggesting that we need to rein this in before it gets worse because doom and gloom. However, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you know, a fraction of this debt was also seen as the doom and gloom, we better fix it before it all comes crashing down scenario. And one thing that we have found is that debts don't matter. Like we all thought this would cause a problem. However, when you're dealing with a construct such as money, it's uh, it's a little harder to understand. People at home understand we have a finite amount of money. We can only spend so much. But governments are a bit different. They can literally print more money. Now, in the far, far past, where my parents can probably remember, there was a thing of uh, out-of-control inflation. We saw it happen in other countries you were constantly afraid of it. And with my grandparents' generation who lived through, you know, the Great Depression, they certainly went through a series where money was scarce. So there was a lot of fear in the older generations uh, that is not invalid by any stretch about not having enough money. And I think that's where a lot of this comes from. Now, don't get me wrong. I would love to be in a country that didn't have any debt that had a surplus. And for a brief shining moment, I lived in that country. It was here in 1999. As a result of some wheeling and dealing by both Bill Clinton and a Republican Congress at the time, uh, we had a surplus. The debt was, you know, coming down at a pretty, pretty rapid clip, actually. It was doing pretty good. Uh, but then, you know, we decided that we wanted an oil man to be our president. We would rather have a beer with George Bush. So he came in and one of the first things he did was he took that surplus and he gave it all back to us. I got a shiny check in the mail from the United States Treasury. And he eliminated that. And then they cut some taxes. Because that's always what they want to do. Which, okay, fine. But it seems a little weird. Because I'm I'm always of the opinion that you should have a rainy day fund. Even if it's only like 20 bucks, you know, for a personal household. Like, you should have something squirreled away that is like only there for emergencies. Um, and so I thought it just natural. I was like, well, why doesn't the government do that? Why don't we just set a, set aside a savings account? right? And the government deals in much huger numbers than I have. So like put aside a couple billion in a savings account, 
let interest do its thing. And we'll save that for a rainy day when we really need it. You know, that'll be nice. And anything outside of that, we could then also become like other countries. Like it would be a fantastic scenario to be in to live in a country that is constantly loaning money rather than uh, needing the loan, right? For a time, the United States was that. We had all the money and everybody wanted to be our friend because of it. We wielded a significant portion of our power, our economic might through money. We had it. Everyone wanted to be our friend. Nobody wanted to piss us off, right? It's a very interesting proposition. And after World War II, we fell into this narrative instead, where instead of financial power, we wanted military power. And that was a trade-off. And then we started getting into that. And then when the Cold War ended, we didn't know how to revert back to no longer being a military power, or at least letting the military take a back seat to financial power. Uh, one of the many things that I hated about Reagan was that he expanded the, the budget, like, a lot. Prior to Reagan, the budget was the size of a regular book. You know, two, three hundred pages, nothing serious. Your average American could pick it up and read it if they wanted, and it wouldn't take an entire staff of lawyers to figure out. But one of the things that Reagan wanted was he really wanted to destroy the fucking Soviet Union. Uh, and he was he was in no mood about it, and he wanted to build it up. He had a boogeyman, and his boogeyman was communism. So he ballooned the budget, ballooned the deficit, strictly to, you know, put them on their heels. To a degree, it worked. Um, however, it was predicted all the way back in the 60s, there are presidential briefs to as far back as Kennedy, telling everyone the economic model that the Soviet Union has is not sustainable and they will collapse under the weight of their own self within a very limited amount of time. We just have to wait them out. That was it. That was why, yeah, we had small skirmishes and problems with the Soviet Union, uh, the biggest of which, of course, was the Cuban Missile Crisis. But after that, Everything pretty much fell by the wayside. Yeah, they were competitors. They were there. But they weren't anything to really, like, snarl at or give a problem to. They were there, yes. Yeah, we had Vietnam. That was misguided. Uh, and a lot of presidents afterwards knew that but just kept it going because they didn't know how to politically end it because, you know, our politics is stupid. But we had this military might. We had the Soviet Union in check. And everybody was sitting there like... Their model's just not sustainable. Sorry. Uh, communism and their version of socialism just is not working at all. And we also, because of ourselves, were keeping them out of certain markets. So they were not allowed to succeed on their own merits. Now, obviously, you don't want to do business with somebody like a Stalin and some of their other leaders. So I'm not going to, you know, judge on the past there. But it should be noted that, you know, we kept them out of certain markets and that plus their own model led to an unsustainable system. So it was just, hey, just sit back and wait. And Reagan was just a little too impatient for that. So he decided to ramp everything up and the Soviet Union collapsed more or less on his watch. So he gets credit for that. 
it's not correct, but that's how it is. Unfortunately, once the Soviet Union collapsed, we did not change things. The military was still there. The industrial complex was still there. And the last thing they wanted to do was stop. And this is why Bush Sr. made a huge mountain out of Iraq. He saw that as a way to appease all the military spending they were doing, right? I have to think somebody as intelligent as Bush Sr. was sitting there looking at the budget and knowing what he knew was sitting there going, we can't justify all of this military spending. We have no one to fight. We could easily conquer the world several times over with the amount of money that we spend on our military every year, but that's not our goal. So I think he was a president looking for a reason to keep the military budget up high. Enter Saddam Hussein and a threat to the global oil supply. I really do wonder if Saddam Hussein had not invaded Kuwait, how the world would have shaken out. I really do wonder that. Because without him, Bush Sr. would have had a very hard time arguing that we needed a large military for what we were doing at the time, which wasn't much. But after Iraq, all of a sudden you then had Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda was formed specifically because we used our allies in the Middle East, specifically in this case Saudi Arabia. We built bases there and we offended the founders, the leaders of Al-Qaeda for religious reasons. That's all it was. They didn't have a problem with our Iraq war. Uh, Bin Laden had a problem with women on the military bases not, you know, covering themselves and such. Whatever. Um... And so we transitioned from the Iraq war to now the terrorism threat. And then 9-11 happened and put it on roids. Now, I do not subscribe to the idea that it was a conspiracy. 9-11 was an inside job or any of that. Or even the notion that Bush knew it was coming but let it happen so that he could have his wars. I'm sorry. I don't see that. The, the, the threat is too much. There's too many unknown variables that could have happened that day for anyone to be like, yeah, let's do that. And also the, the number of people that would have known. I mean, for fuck's sake, we had, we had so many whistleblowers during the Obama years, including Edward Snowden and a few others, who were whistleblowing because we were spying too much on people without warrants. Yet... You know, we're supposed to believe that not a single person who had any information on anything going on about 9-11 just, you know, nobody whistle blew about that. Like, it all just disappeared. Like, I'm sorry, I just, I don't buy it. That, that's too much. It's too much. But we spent all this money on the military. And then we started two wars. And we did the wars in the worst way possible because we didn't have confirmed, like, end limits. It's easy to go to war. It's not so easy to figure out how to end it. Like, you can say, oh, our plan is to topple Saddam Hussein. Great. What next? Now, there could be the kind of view that I think actually would have worked 
not for the Iraqis. Like, unfortunately, I don't see a positive way out of it for them uh, with Bush. But I think if Bush had come in and said, hey, we got Saddam, he's done, we've eliminated his regime, and then if the U.S. just packed up and left, that would have been a preferable outcome, I think, to what ended up happening, which was a prolonged engagement. Because for years, the gold standard in rebuilding countries after a devastating war was World War II and the Democrats. Uh, Roosevelt's plan, Roosevelt's people, Truman watched how we rebuilt Japan, Germany, Italy, and all the Axis powers, and we made them successful allies and democracies to this day. And that really pissed off the conservatives because it was not the conservatives who did this, right? The Democrats did this. The liberals did this. And it worked beautifully. So they had this idea that we need to prove that we can rebuild a nation. That was a selling point. That was a talking point. We're going to show you how conservatives do it as if they could improve upon the model set by FDR and Truman. And what we found was it was all a grift. It was all a grift, all of it. Uh, the key difference between the two was that after World War II, we gave money to the Germans to rebuild their own shit. We supervised, but we did not like bring in American contractors to do anything other than the most specialized of jobs that only our American contractors could do. Meanwhile, over in Iraq, we laid off their entire military, their entire economy is in shambles, and Americans are walking the streets building their city for them while they watch and don't have money to pay their bills. That was a complete and utter farce. And of course, the only reason to do that was to make sure that America got a piece of the puzzle because peace and de democracy just weren't a high enough price. We needed to get some more money. We needed to get our grift on. And that's what turned me off to the Republican Party way back then was they are a grifter party. They have been for a while, unfortunately. My entire life, they've been a party of grifters. That's all they were interested in is how to make money. And that, unfortunately, is where most of this debt that we now have has come from. Okay? The Iraq and Afghanistan wars cost trillions upon trillions of dollars. And what did we get out of them? I mean, Iraq is on a knife's edge whether or not it's a democracy from one day to the next, to be honest. Afghanistan, meanwhile, is back under Taliban rule. We successfully got nothing. Congratulations. We got zilch. So Obama comes into office, and he ends the Iraq war, so congratulations there. But he keeps up the Afghanistan war as if there's a way to do it. And, of course, the downside is, once again, they're spending money the wrong way. It's not that spending money is bad. It's for me, I want to return on my investment. And when your goal in Afghanistan is a military victory, you start looking for a military means. Generals had been saying this for a long time. Um, so Afghanistan also was a huge mistake because Obama just continued the same world building, government building type style that the conservatives had laid out for him. At no point did he decide, we're going to go back, we're going to look at the blueprint set up by FDR and Truman on how to build a democracy 
out of the ashes of a defeated nation. They didn't look into that. They didn't guide it. They took too much of a hands-off approach as far as democracy was concerned. Okay, They let the corrupt take over there, which was, of course, a problem. And then you had its own level of grift. Because after all, if the Americans are grifting, why the fuck shouldn't we? I mean, that's how I would look at it. So the money ended up being a huge cesspool. Then, of course, we had the 2008 financial collapse. And the United States government decided, in its infinite wisdom, with Speaker Pelosi, I might add once again, deciding that hundreds of billions of dollars in aid needed to go to the banks. Not the people, the banks. That was their concern, that was their goal. That should let you know who their priority is. Also for the Democrats, they went along with it. Very few people, very few, said that this was wrong. The largest voice against it was Ron Paul, and he, of course, had the ultimate libertarian idea, which was we should let the banks fail because they're the ones that made the bad decisions. And why would you prop up a business that is failing? I agree with the idea, and I'm not against bailing out the banks. I wasn't against that. I did have a problem that they didn't think to bail out any of the American people. For the amount of money they spent, I think I saw at the time it was something like every American could have received a check for $25,000. And I'm sitting here, an average American, especially back then, thinking, holy fuck, that's a really good deal. If you gave me and my wife 25 grand each, well, hell, we could have helped with that housing crisis. We could have maybe put a down payment on a home. We could have paid off our debt. We could have bought something, right? Isn't that how capitalism works? You buy something, and by buying it, you put profit out into the world. You make sure the person who made that thing is still able to make that thing. But they didn't do that. They gave the money to the banks. Why? So that we could still be liquid by getting loans and credit cards. Which does not help anybody. It just further created a debt trap for the American citizen. Meanwhile, of course, we're adding to the deficit this entire time. Then Obama comes in, raging liberal according to the right, borrows the plan from Mitt Romney when he was governor, and decides to implement it nationwide. I railed against this fucking thing for as long as I can remember. Obamacare, which was Romneycare before that, always remember that, Obama just took a Republican's idea. It was a love letter to insurance companies. That's all it was. That's all it was. If he wanted to reform the healthcare industry, he didn't need a 2,000-page massive bill. He could have put out a one-page bill that said, uh, you can't deny service to people with pre-existing conditions. Make that just illegal. One page, one sentence. You could have passed that bill with one sentence. Force everyone to vote on it. He had a supermajority. Nancy Pelosi had a supermajority. Harry Reid did too. Harry Reid, Nancy Pelosi, Barack Obama, all three of them failed on the big stage with supermajorities. Why? Mostly because they insisted on working with the other side and beating down their own progressive wings. It was a massive failure and a lovely love letter to the insurance companies. Why wouldn't insurance companies love 
30 million extra customers that are guaranteed to be paid for by the United States government. That's a great deal. That's a sweetheart deal. And the best part about it is there were no limits on how much they could charge. None. It was great. There was no price rate, uh, no price holds or anything. They, they got away with it, man. So it was a lovely, lovely thing that they went ahead and passed. And it went through. And everyone was shocked when the Supreme Court upheld it 5-4 in favor of upholding Obamacare with Roberts being the dissenting conservative voice. And I was sitting here going, that's not a shock at all. Why on earth would he hurt business? This was big business. This was a lot of money. Hell yeah. Let's keep that business going. And of course it helped people. Of course it did. You're paying someone to help someone else. Now, you fast forward, we still have the wars in, in Afghanistan going on, the entire length of Obama's presidency. He had his own issues going on, hurricanes and floods, just like every other president, you know, but he was a little better at taking care of them. But he goes down as a liberal icon, and I'm sitting here going, ah, he is no liberal. I don't know why everybody believes that. We all just projected onto him what we hoped. Honestly, what I hoped... Yeah, he'd be a little more transparent about things. I don't think anybody anticipated the absolute stonewalling he received from the Republican Party. I thought everybody would look and be like, wow, you know, the Republicans, they just got a, they just got electorally their asses kicked at the highest margin. They're probably going to be sitting there licking their wounds. Mitch McConnell, no. Man, he, he, he's like, fuck no, man, I'm going to the gym tomorrow. I got some ass to kick. I give him props for that. I mean, he's an asshole of the highest order, but you cannot deny the man's determination to absolutely wreck a presidency. And, of course, he had help. The corporate Democrats totally went along with it. So then we get Trump. Good God. Ugh. The only legislation he could go through, or get through was a tax cut to the wealthiest, which ended up adding ungodly amounts of money to the debt and deficit. So all these deficit hawks, mind you, every single fucking Republican in Congress right now, they all voted to put us in this situation. So when all of them all of a sudden start clutching their pearls about the debt and the deficit, you can tell them to go fuck themselves, every single one of them. They're all crazy. They didn't... Now, keep in mind, they had a majority. They couldn't do anything they wanted with it. They had a majority, they had control of all three chambers of, of, of government, and they had a Supreme Court majority. They could have ended Social Security if they wanted to. They could have. But you see, they can't do it on their own. That's the like reptilian cunning they have. They can't do it on their own. They have to have Democratic help. Cover. They can't be the party that ended Grandma's paycheck. But if Democrats go along with it, even if it is under threat of gunpoint, they can be like, hey, it was bipartisan to end Social Security and Medicare. Don't forget that. Even if it's only like a handful of Democrats, they will go ahead and blanket the entire, entire caucus with it. But Trump passes these massive tax cuts, mishandles the pandemic. Millions of Americans are dead because of Trump. 
not because he was an idiot, although that helps, but because he decided to politicize the basic necessities to get through the pandemic. He didn't want to wear a mask because it made him look weak, so he always fought against masks. He didn't want to shut down the economy because he was scared to shit that the stock market would determine whether or not he was president. He was so ungodly afraid of losing re-election and not looking like a tough man that he did everything he could to make the pandemic fucking worse. At the beginning, if this man had shut everything down for a real decent amount of time, not just two fucking weeks, but if he really shut it down and he mandated the masks and he took it seriously... Yeah, sure, we'd still have some political assholes. I guarantee you people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and others would still be there, like, wearing masks in a you know, insulting kind of way. But we would have been out of it a heck of a lot better. Millions of Americans wouldn't be dead. And the problem is we're such a large country that you can say millions of Americans are dead and everyone's like, you know, I don't know anyone. I'm lucky. I don't know a single American who has died personally from COVID. I know a lot of people who got it. I myself have not gotten it. If I have gotten it, I've been one of the lucky ones who've been totally benign and had no idea I had it the entire time. I've tested several times. I've never had it. I've had people in my household have it. I haven't. So far, no effects of long COVID that we can discover. I have been extremely lucky. But a lot of people haven't been. So COVID hits... Obviously, you have to do something there, so I'm not going to fault government like throwing money at that problem because good God. And I also don't blame him as soon as Biden got in that he decided to try to do the same. That also is a thing. But even right now, what are we spending all of our money on? Under Biden, a Democrat, mind you, $848 billion just this year for military spending. And again, that is not going to the troops. If you support the troops, you should say, fuck that bill. And we're not at war. China doesn't spend anywhere near what we spend. Russia doesn't spend anywhere near what we spend. That like uh, $40 billion or whatever we it was that we sent to Ukraine at the beginning of the war, that was how much Russia spends every year on their military budget. $40 billion. Yet we're over here spending $848 billion per year. Russia's only 40 billion. They are not a threat. China doesn't spend, I don't think, 100 billion. They're not a threat. We could literally cut our defense budget in half. And no other military on the planet would be able to say they spend more on the military than us. And what do we get in exchange for it? That's always the big question. You have to ask yourself, return on investment. What am I getting for this? And people are saying, oh, well, we get our freedom. Okay, great. Who the fuck wants to conquer us? China doesn't want to invade and take over the United States. They want to sell their shit to us. Okay? The EU is not looking to conquer us. Russia doesn't want to conquer us. They just want us not fucking with their shit. There is no one out there in the world who looks at the United States and sees anything more than just, just leave us alone. 
Like, seriously, that's what the world wishes. If, if a country has a negative opinion of the United States, they don't want to destroy us. They don't want to, like, uh, cause all kinds of chaos with us. They just want us to leave them the fuck alone. If the United States just up and pulled out of everywhere and stopped fucking with people, most countries would have instantly have a positive view of the United States. But we keep fucking with them. Not with the military either. We do these sanctions. We have trade wars. We don't do business with countries because we just don't fucking like them. Again, this all helps add to the debt as well. We're purposefully not doing business with Iran. I understand what you're saying. You're probably thinking, but Iran does X, Y, and Z. I agree. So does Saudi Arabia. So does Israel. So does South Africa still have problems. We are allied with a lot of bad people who do very bad things. Human rights violations all over the place with people who we consider allies. Yet we're going to turn around and punish other countries. And what is their huge sin? Usually, eh, they won't sell us their oil. They don't want to do business with us. Or they won't let American interests into their oil. You know. Venezuela private or uh, made their oil fields public property. And we immediately shit all over that country. Because American interests were no longer in there. Venezuela never said, yeah, we won't sell you our oil. They just said that the profits from selling that oil to you are going to go to our people and not to a banker. Not to some oil baron. That's the huge offense. That was the great offense that Venezuela committed that ended up with our entire go-fuck-yourself foreign policy when it, was, when it goes to them. That was it. Venezuela never took over their oil fields and said, we're never giving you another drop of our oil, America. They just said, well, when you pay us for the oil, just like you were doing before, instead of going to one asshole who has all the money, we're going to give it to the people. And we said, oh, fuck you. We're going to stop you from selling oil anywhere. Like, that was it. So you look at this massive $31.4 trillion debt that we crossed today. And as of today, the United States Treasury is now taking what they call extreme measures to avoid defaulting on our own debt. It's crazy. We got here from war. We warred way too much. We never increased taxes on it. Like, that was a thing, right? I always recall... The JFK moon speech. And, you know, a lot of people uh, focus rightly on the quote, you know, we, we do things not because they are easy, but because they are hard. And that's a great quote. But in the exact same speech, to thunderous applause, he said he was going to raise everybody's fucking taxes to do it. And he gave a very specific number. I think it was like 25 cents on something or other. I, I forget the specifics. But he told everyone, I'm going to raise your taxes so that we can go to the moon. And everybody was like, yes! Thunderous applause. I have never heard a president be able to say, I'm going to raise your taxes. And everybody was behind it. In my lifetime, and even before, if you told somebody you were raising their taxes, they looked at you like you just like shot their mother. Like, what? 
But we've never had a president even try. Hey, that's what something that's what Bush should have done. Like seriously, either the day after 9/11 or uh, his first State of the Union in the January after. I think amongst in one of those two speeches, either the Oval Office address or the State of the Union speech, he should come out and been like, "And Americans, we're gonna get these sons of bitches, but it's gonna be hard." And I'm going to ask you to sacrifice and I'm going to ask you to pay up. We are going to make sure that this war is paid for and that it is done right. We're not going to put this on the backs of our children. We're going to pay for it right now. And I need your support to do it. And you know what? Right after 9-11, especially during that State of the Union speech, if he'd have said that, again, we all would have gotten up with thunderous applause and said, fuck yeah, man. Here's the extra couple bucks. Go get those sons of bitches. We all would have been for it. But instead, he made a promise. It's going to be an all-volunteer force, and no one here will see anything. Because again, this was the lesson learned from Vietnam. The American people will support war at the beginning. But once the war gets old and boring, because we like to be entertained, people are going to start looking at the photos of the caskets coming home, and they're going to start looking at their tax bill. And those two things are going to piss them off. So it was very easy. The lesson learned by the military industrial complex. You can have your war, but it's got to be all volunteer so people don't blame them. And you can't raise people's taxes for it because they start getting mad. You cannot ask people to sacrifice for a war that doesn't have an ending to it. You can't ask Americans to sacrifice anything real you can ask them to sacrifice their their uh their their freedom you know the patriot act the mass surveillance a lot of americans sit there and be like well i have nothing to hide so why does it bother if you don't have something to hide why why is it a big deal you hear that a lot we can sacrifice that that's intangible that's not close to home and again most of us aren't doing anything worthy of government surveillance anyway so it's very easy to just be like well who cares you know, there's a there's memes on the internet all the times of like you know somebody looking at porn and or uh, <laughs> or, or writing all these sad letters and like you know the FBI never calls me and asks how I'm doing. It's a funny meme. I like it. But you ask yourself how we got here, and it was not ever Medicare or Social Security that got us here. What got us here were tax cuts to the wealthiest amongst us and unnecessary wars. Now, for the most part, the most part, the unnecessary wars are over. The money we spend to Ukraine is a drop in the bucket. And I think we should keep spending there. I think we should do more, but that's a different topic. But as far as as the right would call them, our entitlements, which are things we have been paying for this entire time, they're asking all of us to sacrifice for the government's mishandling of their of our funds. And I refuse to stand for it. I absolutely don't want that. Fuck you. We have paid into this. This is our money. It's not our fault. You motherfuckers did this. There are plenty of things we could do, Right now, I think the obvious thing would be to cut military spending. 
and then also increase taxes dramatically on the wealthiest of the wealthy in this country. If Elon Musk can pay $44 billion for Twitter when it's only worth maybe 20 then he clearly has too much fucking money. Nobody needs that much. The fuck would you do with it? Seriously. Give me a fraction of what he has. I will be happy and quiet for the rest of my life. You guys will never hear from me again. I won't even have a staff. I mean, I, I don't understand that. It's really very easy. Increase the taxes on the wealthy. Cut the military spending. Go after tax cheats. You could have our $31.4 trillion going in the opposite direction very quickly. But we won't do that. We won't. That's the discussion that Republicans do not want to have. Like the Democrats, if they came to them and said, hey, how is a counteroffer? We increase taxes and cut military spending to reduce the, 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 the debt. They would balk at that. Absolutely not. Because they want Social Security and Medicare. They want the things that keep people at home and not working. If you look now at most conservative right-wing governments, the number one priority is how to get people out of their homes, stop working remotely, get back in the office. Why do they want us back in the office? Because that's where they can keep an eye on us. They're not interested in productivity to that degree. They don't want workers being outside of their control. So the counteroffer on the table today, as far as I can see, it's very simple. Raise taxes on the wealthy and cut military spending. And they will not do it. And like I said, you can cut our military spending in half and no other nation will come close to how much we're spending. You could probably cut it more than that. But that would mean a few billionaires lose money. The stock market would lose value. It would. It would. I mean, Raytheon and other companies like them they would lose some stock value if it came out tomorrow that we were going to cut military spending. So that's the answer to the problem. They're not willing to do it. I'm still pissed off at Democrats for not ramming this home. Democrats are just as bad at this. They will not cut military spending. And they also will not propose raising taxes on the wealthy. You notice it's never Nancy Pelosi saying that. It's Elizabeth Warren. And whenever they're in power, they don't do it. We have a group of people governing our country right now that don't want to admit what the problem is. Or, much like our medical system, the doctor doesn't really tell you the truth. There are lots of doctors who will not tell you the hard truth about your condition because statistically they believe that you won't do it. Type 2 diabetes. Most doctors just prescribe you the pills, maybe give you a blood sugar thing, and they send you on your way. They won't tell you 
the truth about diet and exercise and lifestyle changes because they don't think you'll fix it. That's the same thing we have right now. I'm pretty sure Biden and most of Congress knows we need to cut military spending and we need to raise taxes on the wealthy. But I also believe that they think that the American people will see that as an attack on them because we're stupid. Voters are dumb. Voters will punish the Democratic Party for cutting military spending. And the Democrats will not put themselves on their shield to do it. That is my massive complaint with the Democratic Party since day one. Harry Reid, democracy is the art of the compromise. No, it is not. You had a supermajority. You fucking idiot. You had 60 seats in the Senate. And you insisted on going to the 40-seat minority. The seat that just got absolutely wrecked. Multiple elections in a row. Remember, Democrats took over in 2006. You idiots had it. And you still threw it away. You still fought the fix, the real fix. We need to pay more attention in our primaries for people who speak the truth, who know the real answer, and who also are not afraid to tell us. A lot of this is fear. The president knows what the answer is. He knows what the truth is, but he also knows if he says it, he won't win re-election. And you can thank Reagan for that. Carter, all the way back in 79, told the American people the truth. We cannot continue this way. He was soundly defeated by Ronald Reagan, who blew smoke up everyone's ass and told us, actually, no, you can have your cake and eat it too. We have been on a downward trajectory ever since. And the lesson learned from President Carter, do not, under any circumstances, tell the American people what they need to hear. And the truth right now, we're in over our skis. We, we got to pull it back. But we're not supposed to be pulling it back from Social Security and Medicare. But neither side's going to budge on this. Like I said, I say, fuck it, give it to them. It doesn't hurt enough. Nobody's out in the streets over this. Nobody's paying attention to it. It's on the front page of all the papers, but nobody's reading them. Go ahead. Give it to them. We need to shock this nation out of its complacency. And I know the argument. I know the arguments there. Kyle, with everything that has happened so far, no one's done everything. Anything. I argue the reason nobody does anything is because they know the people in power won't do anything. We were, all of us, outraged. Kids in cages. 2018. Nancy Pelosi's in charge. Fucking get him. Nothing happened. Apathy doesn't come from nowhere. It comes from there being an outrage, and then no one suffers the consequences for it.
that's where apathy comes from. When you see a very clear, identifiable problem, apathy comes from Sandy Hook. Dozens of elementary school kids gunned down by a weapon of war, and then nothing happened. Everyone was outraged. Everyone. Nothing. Kids in cages. Everyone was outraged. Nothing. That is where apathy comes from. I say you give the Republicans everything they want. Their fucking wish list. And then somebody champion that cause from the outrage. Weaponize it. Take back the House. Dominate the Senate. Win the presidency in 24. But yeah, I agree. If you just give them everything you want and then the outrage happens but nobody does anything. I agree. Yeah, you're... You, yeah. But complacency and apathy don't come from nowhere. They come from inaction at the top. When we all protest and then nothing changes... It's only a matter of time. It really is. Apathy ends up breeding into full-on fucking rebellion. And nobody wants that. But people can only go so long without being paid attention to. Again, with Trump, he fights for us. Doesn't matter if it was true or not. The perception was somebody is finally fucking listening and finally doing something about it. And it doesn't matter if he even sucked at it. It doesn't matter that he lost at it. He was trying. And that's all we want. So yeah, give the Republicans what they want. Avoid the millions of jobs that are about to be lost. The billions of dollars that are about to be lost over this fucking debt limit thing. Go ahead and give McCarthy everything he fucking wants. And then turn it on him. But yeah, if, if you give him everything he wants and nothing comes of it, yeah, then yeah, nobody's going to wake up. Nobody's going to suddenly vote Democratic. Why the fuck would you vote for the Democrats? They don't do anything. I get the sentiment. Apathy is bred over time. Nobody cares about the debt right now because it's been going up our entire lives. It only went down briefly for like a couple years. And then Bush came in, and it's been going up ever since. That's why debts don't matter. Because nobody cares anymore. They've been slowly going up. It's been slowly strangling us for so long, we don't even know it anymore. Until, like anything, eventually, it is going to kill us. And it's going to happen very suddenly, and all at once. Anyway, that's today's show. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Are you not entertained? Thanks again for listening. If you want to support the show, please like, subscribe, and share wherever you get your podcasts.